turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 28. If you remember where we left Paul last week, we had our, our storm story in this uh, very dramatic narrative from Luke in the travel from Israel. Uh, we have left Paul on the island of Malta, so these 276 human beings who have processed through these, this storm have landed on the island of, of Malta. It's an area that they didn't recognize. Uh, you know, we had the whole scene of throwing out anchors off the back of the boat, and everybody's got to stay on. Uh, the ship is going to be destroyed, but there's going to be no loss of life. Our resident Californian and Hawaiian came up to me after church last week and said, here, Paul was a surfer because he grabbed a board and surfed into the shore. Anyways, you got it. I've never surfed before. So, you, is that what she said? Something along those lines. One of those Californian Hawaiian puns for the surfers, which I am not. Um, so, we've left them in, they have had an extended, miserable sailing experience that has ended in a shipwreck. But all 276 souls have now found themselves on this shore in Malta. This is where we pick up the story. Chapter 28 says, Now, when they had escaped, literally, they had come safely through this storm. They found, uh, they then found out that the island was called Malta. So if you have maps in the back of your Bible, no Mediterranean Sea, you got the boot of Italy and Sicily is the big island. Malta is this little tiny island. There's a few islands, actually, that are right there underneath Sicily. The natives, which I was telling them this morning, when you think of natives, what does this word bring up in your eye, in your eye, in your mind? I usually think, you know, that there's there are people that are pretty half-clothed and they don't have any technology, you know, kind of playing with rocks. You know, that's not the language. The word is literally barbarian. So this is in the culture, in the Greek culture, anybody that was a foreigner, a barbarian, is somebody who doesn't speak Greek as their native language. So this is still a Roman colony, so to say. It's still, you know, influenced by Rome, a Roman territory. But their native language is not Greek. It's not Latin. They have their own language, the Maltese. But the natives, they showed us, he says, unusual kindness. And the word is, it's the not ordinary. But last week we talked about Julius showing Paul, treating Paul kindly in that word philanthropy, which is the love of man. It's the exact same word here. It's the only two times that this word is used in the Bible. But here, you can just, I mean, place yourself in the scene. There's a, there's a storm going on. The seas are rough. The, the population sees this boat that is in danger as the waves are crashing in on it. They see people that are jumping into the water. They see the boat that is getting broken up. And they're watching this mass of humanity with their lives coming ashore after this experience, right? The native population sees this and witnesses what's going on this morning. So here, it's, here is the compassion of human beings for another human being. To be compassionate to another human being does not require that you have the Almighty God dwelling in you and doesn't mean that you need the love and to know the love of Jesus Christ to be compassionate to another human being. Humans do great things kindnesses to one another to help in the time of need humans also do great evil to one another yes but here's here's a life experience and you can go sit in any kind of natural disaster you can sit 
we have those testimonies where people have just come through some kind of danger and they need help. And that's what this community sees and they're stepping in with, again, not, not just the ordinary love of man. They're really going above and beyond in the love that they're expressing for their fellow man, helping these individuals as they've just survived a shipwreck. So they showed, showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. I can imagine, only imagine the cold that has just sunk through to the bones and all of these people. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man's a murderer, whom though he escaped the sea, yet justice, and uh, capitalized justice there would be referring to a Greek goddess of justice, does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature in the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting, you know, they're watching him with anticipation that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked, you know, again, looking in anticipation for a long time and saw that no harm had come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. I mean, it's, it's a pretty humorous scene, uh, but you can, you can imagine, again, there's multiple fires going on. Uh, these people are trying, everybody's trying to be warmed by the fire. Everybody welcomed in. Paul's helping out, gathering sticks. And you've got this little, you know, whatever. We, we know it's a poisonous snake. We don't know what kind of snake or how big it is. But here he throws these sticks onto the fire. And immediately the snake, like, latches onto his hand. Now, we don't have, Luke doesn't give us any of the tone of Paul. Like, did he say, ow, or is he just all nonchalant? Oh, look, there's a snake on my hand. And he just shakes it. But, I mean, when you have the visual of snakes, what does a snake do? It, you know, it springs out, it injects, and it gets back really fast. Have you ever seen a snake hanging from the flesh on anybody? I've never been around snakes. I hate snakes. You can kill them all for me. But here, there's just this scene of Paul puts some sticks on a fire. A snake comes out and latches onto his hand with its fangs. The natives recognize that this is a poisonous snake. And Paul is, oh, look, there's a snake on my hand, shakes it off into the fire and continues about his, you know, what, what does Paul do? Does he say, ouch? Does he, you know, does an expletive come out? We don't have any kind of tone from Paul, right? I would be screaming like a girl, just so you know, when there's snakes around the house, Julie takes care of them, not me. <laughs> True story, and I have pictures to prove it. Um, but we don't know, again, all the little details of this. But Paul, you know, did he immediately turn to the Lord in prayer? What kind of concern does he have? Paul already knows the word of the Lord, that he is going to Rome. We sat last week, and if you weren't here last week, this, this incredible statement out of Paul's mouth that needs to be a foundational sentence in all of our faith and relationship with Jesus. I believe God. That it, whatever it is, whatever he's promised you, in his word, in, through his spirit, in your life, I believe that it will be just as it was told me. Paul knows he's going to Rome. So once again, Paul has this confidence, this is not going to kill me. But here you have just the fickleness of human beings, and we have all 
sat in our perspective in a person that's before us in a circumstance and we have said no doubt that person's a loser that person's a murderer that person's totally wrong i've got this situation figured out no doubt you ever said that and then uh, when further information comes along you have to come back and say to yourself well i was wrong <laughs> but again there's there's no doubt in their minds that again just in their cultural superstitions that here a, a group of individuals has just been delivered out of the danger of a sea storm and this guy's not just bad luck but justice the gods are punishing him and executing him even though his life was preserved from the sea he must be a murderer because here this poisonous snake is now killing him the gods are getting their justice and again, the, the shift is they're watching and they don't see what they expect happen. He shifts from a murderer to what? To now some kind of divinity. And I bring, you know, the, and not just I bring this up. I think that the Lord is bringing about this circumstance. And I believe that Luke is writing about it. So that what? Like here is the narrative of the storm that everybody just went through. And Paul has been an ambassador, an apostle representing jesus christ and his gospel and his kingdom the entire time that he was on that ship those individuals who were on that ship have just lived through this life experience and now the natives are being exposed to the same man a same danger death is right there and paul doesn't die so what's going to happen the lord is bringing about the circumstance for the kingdom of god to be proclaimed to these this native culture that without this circumstance they may have been less perceptive to listen to the words that come out of Paul's mouth. There's going to be another instance. Again, the Lord taking Paul and Luke and Aristarchus and all these individuals through storm, preparing them, speaking to them, and they are still there in freedom and liberty and boldness, proclaiming who Jesus Christ is, using the, that life experience and that opportunity to demonstrate and Again, just to proclaim who Jesus is. So verse 7 says, In that region, region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously. So this is literally, he's, it's not that he's bringing out the show and the entertainment and the pageantry and all that kind of stuff, but this is the, the Eastern culture uh, here is these individuals. This is the governor, so to say, of the land. Here is a group of people that have just come underneath his authority that are suffering through a life tragedy. And the government of this population is now stepping into the time of need for a few days. He is receiving them as guests. He is treating them courteously. He is showing them the love of mankind. We're going to be told that they're on this island for three months. The government's not going to be feeding all of these individuals for three months. There's going to be a process of helping them integrate into the culture and help them take care of themselves while they're there for an extended stay. But at the same time, they're standing that immediate gap of the needs that they have. So they entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. So there's, you know, there's different things that the commentaries mentioned. But this guy's got the flu, to say the least. 
Paul goes into him and prays, lays his hands on him, and healed him. Again, this is not the power of Paul. This is the power of God working through Paul, performing a miracle. Why? So when this was done, that the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. Going to give Paul the platform to preach the gospel. Verse 10, they also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. So again, you know, the next verse says after three months. So they're there, not just, they're in this man's house. Um, he is providing for them for a few days. There is uh, establishing them in this harbor. There are other boats and sailors in the harbor wintering there. We're going to see in just a second. The Lord is bringing about using the circumstances of life so that Paul and Luke and others can proclaim the truth about who the Almighty God is to this culture who believes in all kinds of gods. I wonder how many people stepped in from death into life on this island of Malta because of these circumstances. Awesome. Verse 11, after three months... He sailed in an Alexandrian ship. You think anybody's timid about getting on another boat? Whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. Landing at Syracuse. Syracuse is the capital of Sicily. We stayed three days. From there, we circled and reached Regium. This is on the, the boot, the, the toe of the boot of Italy. After one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Pitoli, which this is just north of modern-day Naples, where we found brethren. And we were invited to stay with them seven days. So remember, Paul's a prisoner. He's still chained to a Roman soldier. He's still the custody of, of Rome. There are other prisoners. So they're not with the sailors anymore, but they're still in their party of Roman soldiers and of prisoners and of at least Luke and Aristarchus that are free and with Paul. So here they find brethren in this community and the brethren, the church, they invite all of this party to remain with them. They stay there seven days. And we went toward Rome. From there, when the brethren heard about us, Remember, they don't, there's, no, there's no texting, hey, Paul's on his way kind of stuff. So the idea is there's, there's brethren that are there in the community that have gone on to Rome as they're traveling back and forth. They're communicating to the church that's in Rome, hey, the Apostle Paul is on his way. So it says that uh, the brethren heard about us. They came to meet us as far as Appi Forum. And three inns, these, uh, this is down the Appian Way, so a famous road that heads south of Rome. Uh, the Appi Forum is about 40 miles. The three inns is just north of there. When Paul saw, saw them, he thanked God, took courage. Now, these are individuals who received his letter to the church that was in Rome, what we know as the Book of Romans. Paul has been seeking to come to the church in Rome for an extended season, a good five years of his life. He's now standing in that circumstance. Here he is, thanking God, taking courage, taking cheer, taking boldness in the Lord, 
Verse 16, Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. I hope those prisoners themselves bent the knee in faith to Jesus Christ, because more than likely, we mentioned before, these other prisoners were probably fodder for the Colosseum and its brutality. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Paul ends up renting his own dwelling for a couple of years. So we'll pick this up in verse 17, gives us the, this narrative. So it came, come, came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers. And this is, this is really... I want you to sit in the words that Paul is saying, what he means when he says this. It gives us this continuity of Old Testament and New Testament. It gives us the continuity that the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who was there with Adam and Eve, the God who was there with Noah, the God who was there with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and David. You go on down through the list of the centuries, same God, same word unchanging paul believes in that god he is of the people that the almighty god chose in abraham to bless all people paul is giving them the testament i've done nothing against the word of god i've done nothing against the traditions of our fathers i am living these things out i know that Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah. This is the testimony that Paul is living out. I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers. Yet, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to call upon Caesar, to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. So he's not complaining about Israel. He's not complaining about the leadership. He is just stating the facts. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you and to see you and speak with you. Because for the hope of Israel... I am bound with this chain. And again, that's, that's continually in the book of Acts. We've seen it multiple times in the, the most recent chapters. The hope of Israel is the hope of the resurrection through the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and promised return of Jesus Christ. For the hope of Israel, I'm bound with this chain. Verse 21, then they said to him, we neither receive letters from Judea concerning you. So nobody sent us letters. Nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. So in this extended couple of years, nobody's come to the Jews in Rome says, to say, hey, watch out when Paul comes. Hey, we weren't able to kill him along the way, but if you hear that he's on the way traveling, would you guys kill him? None of that has made its way to the Jews in Rome. But verse 22 says, but we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect... We know that it is spoken against everywhere. And again, this word for sect, and, and again, in the most, it's, it's the word where we get heresy from. So in the usage in this day, 
It's seen as, again, Christianity is a division. It's a part of Judaism. So there is this, uh, you know, there's a continual narrative that it's being spoken against. Jesus is not the Messiah. Just, you know, you can sit in the Gospels and the book of Acts to see all of that opposition. So there's, we sit on this cusp of the word. So when this word comes out in regards to this sect, are they looking at it as just a part of Judaism, or are they looking at it as a heretical, blasphemous doctrine? So it's kind of like take the flavor on the emphasis for the word. You know, the translators are using the word sect here because they don't think that the Jews are looking at it as a heretical doctrine. They're curious. It's spoken against everywhere. Paul, we want to hear what you think. You believe this, so tell us why you believe this. And what does Paul do? So when they had pointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained, this is he exposed and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning who? Concerning Jesus. From both the law of Moses and the prophets. From morning till evening, and some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved, so that when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word, and we'll get to that word in a minute. So I want you to, I want you again, just to imagine this scene. You know, Paul has a reputation as a Pharisee before becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. He has a reputation after that. Uh, conversion in his life becoming completed in the messiah and believing jesus as the messiah here he comes into this community he's calling the jewish leadership of the and again these are these are all there's no central jewish authority in rome like in jerusalem these are all individual synagogues just like we're a non-denominational congregation you know we're not we don't have some central authority. Here we are, a group of believers meeting together. These are what all of these synagogues are. Paul's calling these individuals, and they've, he's relating to them his current circumstance, which they know nothing about, but they are curious about hearing what he understands this fulfillment of the Messiah to be in Jesus Christ. So they schedule a meeting, and all these individuals come together, and this gives Paul another opportunity. So again, God taking his chains and giving him the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. But it's not, he, it, Paul is consistent in this, and we need to be consistent in this. It's always about Jesus. Here is what the Old Testament says out of the law of Moses, out of the prophets, out of Proverbs, out of the Psalms. You sit in the entire Old Testament narrative. Here is what it is saying about Jesus. And this is one of those ideas you ought to be able to flip anywhere in the Old Testament and start to communicate about Jesus Christ as the Messiah. You need to know the word of God with, to, to have that ability as, as a goal. And again, it's, it's not so that you can be a, a theologian and have a big fat head of knowledge. It's so that you can know in whom that you believe. We have all of this incredible narrative that God performed for the thousands of years before he sent his son. And that God that sent his son, that God that we believe in today, that God that, we, that dwells in us today is the same God who created the heavens and the earth. And again, as you sit in, these, in, as you sit in the Old Testament, 
and you sit in the promises, you see Jesus show up in the pages of the Old Testament. You see God take on human flesh, not sending an angel, but you see the Almighty God taking on this flesh and revealing himself in the pages of the Old Testament to manifest himself, to show his glory, to show his plans, to give his promises, to show how he is going to bring about blessing, to take the brokenness of sin and death that is in the world and to restore his life in those he created to inherit his image for all eternity. Paul is sitting in those pages. These men that he's communicating to, they are experts in the law of Moses. They are experts in the prophecies. They know exactly what they say. Now, this is what's fascinating to me. Who'd like to hear a sermon by the Apostle Paul? Who'd rather have me go sit in the chair right now and have the Apostle Paul up here preaching a message? Papa John, we're ignoring you. <laughs> Inside jokes with family over there. Um, here's the reality. The, the messenger must be faithful to the message, right? Otherwise, the messenger is totally irrelevant. It doesn't matter what kind of shoes I have on, what kind of clothes I'm wearing, what my cultural black background is, whether I'm old, whether I'm young. The messenger, as long as the message is true, according to the document that we have, the messenger is totally irrelevant. What's relevant in that moment? It's the heart of the hearer. Because listen, Paul, the apostle Paul, is having a Bible study with biblical experts. And some of them are convinced to the, of the truth that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And there are others in the same group, in the same room, listening to the same words that say, no, he's not. And this word, it says they're in disagreement. It, it literally means they're not in symphony. They're not in harmony with one another. They're listening to their words. They're being challenged. Some of them are saying, yeah. And others are saying, no, right? And again, we, we sit in the same climate in this room. I mean, there's sometimes for those, as you listen to me, sometimes you're in total agreement. And there's other times, eh, right? It, it depends on what's going on inside of your mind and your heart, as long as I'm being faithful to the word and to the text, correct? This is one of the things that I want to bring up. Like, I've had, I have had many individuals in my story that I've pressed into, uh, that I've listened to repetitiously over time because I could pick up what they were putting down. Does that make sense? Like there are certain personalities that really just minister to you. Some of you, you want the very organized and structured A, B, C points, one, two, three, and sub points of a sermon. That's how some people are wired as communicators. That's how some people are wired as listeners. I, I, and again, this is, this is where the freedom and liberty is in the gospel. As long as I am uh, treating the text in integrity and truth and looking to God and looking to him to to enable you to hear what you need to hear today. 
I have this confidence that God is the one who is going to be working those words into your mind, into your life. And I know that if somebody just shows up for one weekend and they tell me what a great message it is and I'll for sure be back next week and I never see him again or, or somebody comes up to me after the message and said, that was the worst thing I ever heard. I will never be in this church again. I, I can be okay with either. You know why? Because I'm, I'm comfortable with who I am in the Lord and I know that as I speak to you, like, I don't need to tickle your ears. I don't need to be a showman. I don't need to do the smoke and the screens and, and be flashy. I just need to be me and Jesus. And I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with not everybody's going to hear the gospel out of my personality. I've pressed into particular teachers. There are other teachers that I wouldn't listen to if you paid me to listen to them. Even though they are brothers and sisters in Christ, their voice irritates me. Their presentation irritates me. You know what? It's okay. I'm not going to pick up the stone and throw it at them publicly. I'm not going to pick up the stone. I used to. I used to pick up the stone and throw them out of my heart. I, I don't even know if they're saved. You know, that, just that kind of attitude. And again, this is just one of those passages and segments that helps me understand that as long as the messenger is holding to the truth of the message, the emphasis is upon the hearers. What are you doing week by week with what Jesus is speaking to you out of his word? What am I doing week by week as Jesus is speaking to me out of his word? I want my heart. Again, we, we have the parables from the Lord. That we're going to sit and just, well, we're going to save that parable for a second, okay? Um, let's read the text and I'll show you why. So, Paul's having this extended conversation. There is disagreements. In, amongst the hearers again some have just stepped from from death into life as they believe in jesus others are remaining in darkness in their unbelief they do not agree there's not harmony among themselves and they departed after paul spoke this word this is out of isaiah chapter 6 the holy spirit spoke rightly through isaiah the prophet to our fathers saying go go to this people and say Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Now here's, here's the context of these words. This is Isaiah chapter 6. This is when the Almighty God revealed himself to Isaiah. And in what Isaiah sees, he sees these shining ones, these flaming ones, the seraphim above the throne of God saying what, church? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This incredible scene says that uh, in this, the vision that Isaiah is seeing that his home is filled with the glory of God, that he is seeing the Almighty God on the throne, he is hearing these words, he sees God's, you know, the train of his robe, his majesty and his authority just filling the temple. Incredible vision. What does Isaiah do? Whoa! 
Woe is me. I am an unclean, wretched, broken man. I am an, uh, I have an, I am a, bleh, I am of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Can you imagine seeing your God? Now, a seraphim, this burning one, takes a coal from the altar that is before the Almighty God, the altar of incense, and touches Isaiah's lips with it. And his lips are clean. And what does God say? Whom shall I send? Who's going who's to go for us? Ask this rhetorical question. Isaiah is the answer, right? Was Isaiah said, ooh, 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 send me, right? Can you imagine this scene? Here I am, Lord, send me. I'll go for you. These are the words that God puts in Isaiah's mouth. This is not comfortable. Go to this people. Go and tell them. You think you see, you think you know truth, you're blind. You think you hear, you think you have knowledge, you were deaf and you were dumb. Keep on keeping on is essentially what's being said. Lest you turn to me in repentance and be healed. Is that a comfortable message? Zero comfort in that message. Now who wants to go in the name of Yahweh? But what, what's, what's being said? So Jesus quotes the same thing in Matthew chapter 13. And he, he quotes it in the midst of the disciples. asking, why do you teach people in parables? Like, why can't you just tell us things straight up? Why do you teach with parables? And Jesus quotes this. Because when, when Jesus teaches in parables, he takes a cultural idea and he's laying it next to the truth of who God is and who his kingdom is and what he's looking for and what his mission is, right? So to understand Jesus' words demands, one, a lot of attention. Because when you hear these things on the surface, it's like, what did he say? We are, right? We start asking questions. Often when Jesus taught publicly, the disciples come to him in private and say, what did you say? What does that mean? Help, help me understand this. And this is, the, this is the thing. It takes humility to ask a question. It takes humility, humility to publicly say, I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I'm wrong. This is what I've done. This is who I am. This is what Jesus has done in transforming me. That, take, that takes humility. It takes humility to come to your almighty God in your vision that you see in your understanding, your wisdom, your IQ, your life experiences and say, God, I can't see. I can't see the nose that's on my face. I think that I know and I think that I understand, but God, I, I'm hearing these words and uh, my first perspective of I got it figured out and then all of a sudden you read it a second time, wait a minute, what I thought I knew, I don't know. God, I need your vision. I need your mind. I need to turn away from self. I need to turn away from religion. I need to turn away from culture. I need Jesus. That's what Paul is quoting here. 
to people who just responded to the gospel and to people who were remaining in their unbelief. And the last thing a person who is remaining in their wrong perspective wants is another finger in their chest saying, you're wrong. And this is where the opposition wells up to the gospel. Earlier on when it said uh, concerning this, uh, this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. Wherever the true gospel, wherever the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ is proclaimed, it is spoken against. Whether it's spoken against from the culture in general, whether it's spoken to, uh, against from religious majorities, those who want to retain power, it can even be spoken against in your own heart because the gospel demands everything. We just, we just sang it a moment ago. Every time I see the lyrics, I'm always, Lord, help it to be true. I surrender all. All of me. We're going to sing another song in a moment, White Flag. We're going to raise the flag of surrender to Jesus and Jesus alone. May he be God. May he be king. May he be Messiah. May he be savior. May he be friend. May he be spouse. May he be priest. Jesus is better than everything. And this challenge of this verse, go ahead. Keep on keeping on in your rebellion against the God who created you. How's it working out for you? Because how it's working out for you right now is how it's going to work out for you in the future. Nothing is going to change in your life. You have no life. You have no hope. You have no confidence. There is nothing for you to stand in and to live for until you raise the white flag of surrender to your creator. Man, what a, what a journey it is. And look at Paul, and we're going to talk about journey for a second here, and we'll close out. So it says, Paul dwelt two whole years, rented his own house, received all who came to him. What was he doing? He's preaching the kingdom of God. Of course he is. He's teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course he is. With all confidence, with all freedom and boldness, no one was forbidding him. And then we look around and say, well, where's the rest of the story? The book of Acts is extremely anticlimactic, and I think it's intentional. And here's what I want to convey. So as we are closing the book of Acts, we have just sat in the narrative from Luke as the Holy Spirit is working in him and pinning these things down and everything that he was doing through Luke's life as he's writing this for Theophilus and preserved for us. It's a 30-year period of time. So from the time that Jesus ascended to heaven, we believe that it was roughly 33 AD. The time that Paul is uh, here in Rome these last two years, it's 62 AD. So Paul doesn't have his head removed from his body until 66 by Caesar Nero. So the early church tells us that from this imprisonment, after these two years, Paul was released. We have no history of it. We just have church tradition in regards to it. Some believe that he went on to Spain. At some point, he was rearrested and lost his life. In that, in that window of period, this is when he writes his letters to Timothy and to Titus. But in this 30-year period of narrative that, Paul, or that Luke has given to us, 
in regards to the acts of God. He's really focused on the life of Peter in the early chapters, and he's focused on the life of Paul in the later chapters. So all we've gotten out of the testimony of God's word is, is Luke's testimony in regards to the life of two people and the lives that interact with those people for a 30-year period of time. And this is what I want to bring up. Where were you 30 years ago? So put, put your life age context and shove it into these 30 years, okay? For me, that means that when Jesus ascended to heaven, that I would have been 15 years old if I shoved my life into this context. I came to Jesus when I was 23, so 15 plus 8, that gives me 8 years. You do 33 AD plus 8, that gives us to 41 AD, right? Paul is still stuck in Tarsus. Barnabas, at that time that I came to faith in Jesus Christ, Paul is still in Tarsus. Barnabas hadn't gone to get him yet to bring him down to Antioch before Paul even started his missionary journeys. That would be my life context if I, if I shoved it into this same time period. In the last 30 years of your life, and for some of you, you weren't even born yet, right? What's gone on culturally? What's gone on politically? What's gone on globally? What's gone on in your life, in, in that context, right? So we could, we could today, we could snap this, this narrative and bring it into our day. You know, who would we write about? Would we give the testimony of, well, uh, look at everything that Billy Graham was doing, and now uh, Greg Laurie's kind of taking that evangelistic torch that Billy Graham had. You know, we could just focus on these two giants of the faith in culture, in the world, as the gospel is being proclaimed, and it's only two people. And a little bit of side connections into those stories. What has God done in the last 30 years? In the last 30 years, I stepped from darkness to eternal light and life in God. Anybody else in the last 30 years? This is why Acts is so anticlimactic. The gospel will continue to crescendo until the day Jesus comes back. The story and the work and the acts of God, they are not over. I can give you a hundred stories today about what not only I have witnessed God do, but what, you know, what we've witnessed him do in, in other stories that we give the same kind of hope that we have through the word of God. This is why we gather together and worship together, and share meals together, share life together, study the Bible together to get all of these different perspectives so that we can continue to trust in and believe in and the words of our almighty God. Amen. May the gospel crescendo in our culture. We are praying for the soon return of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, Lincoln's teaching First and Second Thessalonians. So he's, uh, he's all a prophecy buff right now. You sit in what's going on with Russia and Ukraine today. You know, they, again, there's, there are multiple signs that we can sit in in regards to the prophecies that God has given to us where we really do believe that Jesus is coming back in our lifetime. We really do believe that there is nothing that needs to be completed for Jesus to come back, that he could come back today. 
And whatever that day is, that is when the gospel crescendos. That's when the work of God is going to be done for all eternity, right? There, I mean, there's a whole bunch that's going to go on in prophecy. But when Jesus, ultimately, when he does away with this heaven and this earth, and he recreates the heavens and the earth, they got, that's the moment that the gospel will crescendo. That's why I, I greatly uh, appreciate the ending to the book of Acts because the work of God is not done. Paul is not a man we should idolize. He's a man whose faith in Jesus Christ we should follow after for sure. But there's a, there's a thousand men and women that we can sit in their biographies and say, man, that person's really encouraging, Lord. Help me to follow you like they followed you because you're worth it and you're worthy. Amen? All right, worship team, come on up here. Here's what we're singing next. I was in here in rehearsal, so I already know what we're going to sing. Word of God speak. Jesus is the word of God, and may he speak to you clearly this morning. May you hear his voice, and whatever he speaks to you, submit to it. Run with it. Celebrate it. Wrestle with it. Whatever that needs to be. And then this last song. Raise your, raise your white flag to Jesus. Surrender. Let him be a quick kicking against him. Blake, <laughs> it's hard to kick against the goads. I know. Lord, would you deal with my flesh? So, Father, we come running to you with our minds and our hearts and our bodies. The spirit that you have created within us, we come to you, Lord, with all that you have made us to proclaim your glory and your majesty, to confess our sins and our brokenness and our errors, our wrongs, to seek you for cleansing, for light and life, to ask that you would dwell in us in all of your glory and majesty and power. We will remember you now, Jesus, your body, your blood, your promises. We will worship you in spirit and in truth. We believe your words. We believe in who you have proclaimed yourself and demonstrated yourself to be. In your name and your power, we will be one with one another. We will seek forgiveness and reconciliation and patience with each other, Lord. We will walk together forward in this journey of life in unity with you. Here we are, Lord. Be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray.